Ministries Pastor. If you don't know me, welcome to those who are joining us online. And I'm excited to um, be able to share with you in this series. I hope you've been following along. If you've missed anything, there is a flow, so go back and check out uh, the messages you missed. But it's the church Jesus died for. And excited to be a part of it this morning. Um, have you ever had a job where they said that at this, at this organization, we are a family? People laughed last, last service too. Um, so that means yes, right? So you guys have experienced that. I think that's pretty common for a, a, a company to say like we're, we're the, the, this family or sometimes that comes from leadership. Hey, we're, we're a family or we're like a family. Certainly possible. I, I think I, I, I'm pretty sure I've talked to people who they're like, man, my job is so great. It's like a family. We know each other really well. We, we've worked here a long time. We care for each other. This, is, this job is, is special. It's like, it's like working with your family. But a lot of times that's more coming from uh, leadership or like the marketing department, right? And they're saying, hey, we want to be, um, we, we want em- employees to know and potential employees to know that this is a good place to work. So we'll talk about ourselves as a family. Um, at best, it's that. And then maybe at, at worst, it can turn into something kind of weird um, and distorted and possibly to, that misuses employees or abuses them because they're part of a family, right? So there's like expectations of loyalty that are through the roof and all kinds of weird things happen. So when we say we are part of a family as a church, last week, uh, Robert, if you were here with us, we, we had our worship service out on the lawn, which was pretty neat, and we had our ministry fair, and he talked about the better family that we're a part of. Um, and what he's referencing, which you, you probably know, is our mission statement, which is to partner with Jesus in offering our community and the world a better story and a better family modeled on Christ's redeeming love. Um, this mission statement, this is not uh, our branding. This is not our, our huge marketing department uh, that I haven't seen. This not, that's not what that is. This, is. this is what we believe the New Testament says about what the people of God are supposed to be and how they're supposed to function. And so we are not a church who's trying to brand ourselves as a family. I think what what we're saying is that we're a family that then has work to do. And so maybe that would be a better way to think about us is, okay, we're, we're a family, but we have a job to do. And so this morning I wanna look at what, what's something that we have to do as, our, as a family, um, what's one of the roles that we have. And so I'm gonna be back in Ephesians and Ephesians 4. So if you have your Bible, please open to Ephesians 4. I, you will need, I'm gonna be a little bit in Ephesians 4 and then I'm gonna be in Ephesians 1 and 2 and then I'm gonna be back in Ephesians 4. So you need, you need a Bible and you need to open to Ephesians and kind of track with me. I'm gonna reread some of the text that Robert was in last week and in this text in Ephesians 4, He's talking about the people of God as a body, the body of Christ. And I'm gonna start in Ephesians 4, verse 11. It says that when Jesus, before I read this, Jesus ascended, he gave gifts. And these are the gifts he gave. Verse 11 of Ephesians chapter four. And he, Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, 
until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Robert mentioned last week that we're going to be actually in Ephesians 4 a few times in this series where it's talking about the body, and we're not going to cover everything here, but the question I want to ask is kind of a subset of what we looked at last week. Last week, what is the better family that God is giving to us? So I want to ask the question, how does the body make itself grow? Or how do we help other Christians grow? So I'm talking about how Christians grow, how we mature, but then I'm narrowing it down to how do we help each other mature? And even in that, I'm narrowing the focus just to say, let's look at Ephesians and just look at two ways in which how we help each other grow. That the body is this thing that is supposed to be maturing. It's this maybe strange metaphor, right? Where we're parts of a body, we're part of an organism and it's growing up and the body is contributing to its own maturity. So how, how does that happen? What does that look like? That's what I wanna ask. I'd like to ask God to help us with that question. So would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the realities that are described in Ephesians. I pray that your spirit would help me to describe them accurately and clearly and that he would empower what I say and bring it to life that you would use it to shape and challenge and change us, that we would mature in Christ. And we pray in his name, amen. So how, how do we help other Christians grow? How do we grow up? How do we mature as the family of God? What does that look like? The first thing I want to look at is actually from the first part of Ephesians. I think that this is pretty crucial, that in order for us to grow, we have to ourselves be, if you want to change the metaphor, to be planted. We ha- in order to help other Christians grow, we have to be Christians. We have to be ourselves transformed by the power and grace of God. Or as Paul's going to say in Ephesians 2, we have to be resurrected. And so I want to go back to Ephesians 1 and look at this because this isn't just my idea. Uh, this is, I think, what Paul has in mind when he writes Ephesians. We mentioned this last time when we were in Hebrews and I was preaching um, that these application sections at the end of a letter, that a lot of times they, they're, they're tied pretty tightly to the teaching section at the beginning of the letter. And in Ephesians, that's really clear because you have half the letter talking about the teaching part, the indicative, this is who we are in Christ, this is what God has done. And then the second half, he says, now I want you to live in light of that, here's what you do. And so Ephesians divides nicely that way, six chapters, three about who we are, and three about then how we respond and how we live in light of that. So we really need to look at something of one to three if we're to understand who we are as the body. So go back to chapter one of Ephesians. Chapter one of Ephesians, he's praising God for who we are in Christ, for everything we have in Christ, and he says that God chose us before the foundation of the world. 
And this is what we, we're calling in our mission statement, what we've been talking about a couple weeks ago, about this is the bigger story. This is the better story, right? It's this grand, awesome story that God has made us a part of where he has chosen to rescue humanity. Um, that is his sovereign purposes before the foundation of the world to adopt us, to give us his grace. And that's what he's talking about in Ephesians 1. He says, I want you guys to, to know something of this. I want you to see it. And then he prays something. And I want to skip down to verse 17. Paul's praying. <clears throat> Actually, we'll just start in 16. So Paul's praying for his readers. And he says in verse 16, this is what he prays. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. So he's saying, and Paul, it, it, he's these long sentences here, so sometimes it's easy to get lost. But look at, what is he asking here? He's saying, I want you to have your eye, the eyes of your heart enlightened. I want you to have perceived something. I want you to know the hope that you've been called to. I want you to know how glorious this inheritance you have in Jesus is. And the third thing, he says, I want you to know the power of God. And that's what I want to focus on here. Um, this is not an abstract thing where he's saying, I'm praying that you guys would have some intellectual knowledge about God that you would understand that he is super powerful and almighty, he created the world. That's important to know that, but that's not what he's saying here. He's saying, I'm praying that you guys would see the power of God, and then he's gonna give us two examples of how we get to see that vividly. So let's keep going. How do we see the power of God? According, this is verse 19, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So I want you to see the power of God where? Where do we see the power of God? God took Jesus who was dead and he put him as king of the universe. Yes, Jesus is God and he was always God, but he was also dead, right? And he's saying, here's where you see the power of God. I'm praying that you guys would see how powerful God is and how he has worked. Here's what he did. He took Jesus who was dead and he put him as king of the universe over everything, over everyone, over every person, over every angel, over every demon, over every government, he is king of the universe. And God took that power and he worked in you. And this is the connection that he's making with chapter two. So ironically, that chapter division, that big two, obscures or could obscure the thing that Paul is praying that we would see. That the power of Jesus that worked in us is the same power that spiritually raised us from the dead. So you could, don't really cross off the two for chapter two because I would feel really uncomfortable about you crossing things out in your Bible in response to my sermon. But 
maybe in your mind, cross off the two. Because he's saying, God raised Jesus from the dead, he put him as king of the universe, and you were dead. Let's read chapter two. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath. So God raised Jesus from the dead and you were dead too. You might, his readers might respond, we might respond, I wasn't dead. I have been alive since I was born as far as I know. But Paul explains what he means, right? What does he mean by you were dead? In the trespasses and sins in which you once walked or lived. You were spiritually dead because you just lived in sin. You followed the prince of the power of the air. You followed Satan. He's the one who's at work in the whole world, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. He's saying, I'm not talking to a specific group among my readers who used to be Satanists or something. He's saying, This is all of us. Without Jesus, we all are doing whatever we want to do. We're living in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath. So God's wrath, his just intense anger rested on us, and that was all we earned. And Paul says, that was us, right? This sounds pretty dramatic. Um, And you, you might respond and be like, man, that's, that's kind of harsh. Um, but this is the biblical description of us without Jesus. This is the biblical description of humanity after Genesis 3. This is us. The world, the flesh, and the devil, they reign. But what he's saying is, I pray that you guys would understand how powerful God is and how he has worked in that he raised Jesus from the dead, seated him in the heavenly places as king of the universe, and he did this. Verse four. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So God took us who are spiritually dead and he united us to Jesus somehow so that we are now alive and we are now seated with Jesus, that we have a union with him. Why? Why did God do that? Verse seven, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God wants to show people his love and his grace for eternity. And how is God going to show off how good he is? How is he going to get glory for his goodness? He's gonna do that by redeeming spiritually dead people and making them alive and making them his children and forever we get to sing his praises and say, yeah, you're a good and powerful God because I was spiritually dead and now I'm alive. That's why he did it. 
in case we missed it, he wants to make sure we understand that this, this whole thing happened by grace, not because of anything we did. We were dead, so not contributing much. Verse eight, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. So he says, look, all this happened, he made us alive. He did it not because of anything we did, we didn't come to Jesus and say, I'm gonna do good things, and then he said, okay, then I think I'll, I'll help you out. He said, I resurrected you because of my grace. How does this happen? This happens when people respond in faith to the gospel, and they put their faith in Jesus. This is what we're calling the better story, right? The gospel. Um, when when uh, I got to be on this team going to Cambodia earlier this year, this struck me as, I heard somebody say the boohoo, yes, boohoo. Um, oh, yes, boohoo. Um, well, now I'm gonna use it as an illustration. Okay, so when, when Peter was with me in Cambodia and we went on this team, it, it did strike me that, hey, we're different ages, we're, we're different settings in life, we, we have, we have um, you know, a police officer, we have college students, we have, we have different people, but you know, when we share the gospel, it's pretty much the same. There are some slight variations, you know, Peter's was longer than most of ours, um, but, but mostly it was the same, and we're sharing the same message because what we were sharing with people was not, hey, let me tell you about my life and, and all the details of my life. The story that we were telling was the better, bigger story, right? God created the world, and this is what happened, and there's one God, and we described hey, this, the, the, there was sin and we're all under this curse of sin and rebellion against God and this is, the, this is the problem, this is the root of all of our problems. But God sent his son Jesus who had no sin and he died an atoning sacrificial death on, on the cross and then God raised him from the dead and I've put my faith in him and he raised me from the dead spiritually and I'm gonna live with him forever. And if you respond to this message and you also trust in Jesus, you will live forever and you will spiritually rise. That is our testimony. Not all of us have some backlog of sin to be able to reference in sharing our testimony and that's okay. We all have this testimony. I know some of you guys, Bible students are here and um, I rem this was something that I experienced when I went to, to, to Biola a long time ago and I, I remember um, just meeting all, all these classmates and, and finding out, oh, you, you, your, your Christian experience started at a very young age. Um, and people would be like, yeah, you know, I accepted Jesus when I was three. And before that, I was, man, I was running around <laughs> causing <laughs> problems. Like people had different experience, right? They're like all missionary kids, pastor kids, homeschooled. Um, is this true of them, Ephesians 2, that you used to walk this way, following Satan, following the flesh, enslaved children of wrath? Yes, this is the story of all humanity pre-Jesus. Just ordinary sinners, most of us. But Paul says, I'm praying that you guys would see something of the power of God in how he's worked and that he raised Jesus 
from the dead and seated him in the heavenly places and he has united you to Jesus and seated you there too, even though you were dead. Then, um, then what, right? And let's, let's finish this passage because it brings us back to where we, we wanna, the question we wanna ask today is how do we help each other grow? How do we help each other be who God wants us to be? He ends this passage in verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We weren't saved by good works, but we were saved for good works. We are now this new humanity, this new family. He's gonna say in the coming passage that we're, we're, a, we're a temple that's being built, Jews and Gentiles, everybody from, from any walk of life, from any ethnicity, you're being pulled together into this new thing, and then he, he shifts and says it's a body. And he says that there's, there's good works, there's, there's things for us to do that God has prepared for us to do. And so the first question for us, if, if we ask what does it look like to help each other grow, is we have to personally be resurrected and transformed by the power of God. The church is supposed to be a group of people who've been brought to life. And we've now been brought to life and now we're together and now we have a job to do. And I wanna go back to chapter four and uh, if you could flip back to chapter four, what, what does this look like? It, when we, we will grow and mature, this body will grow when we are doing the work of ministry. So if you notice from chapter four, if you go back to chapter four, the gifts that Jesus gave to the church, they were chapter four, verse 11, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Well, how do they help the body grow? Verse 12 of chapter four, to equip the saints, the people of God, for the work of ministry. And that is what makes the body mature. So who does the work of ministry according to Paul? The saints, right? And that's us, that's not, that, that's, that's the holy ones, that's the people of God. So we do the work of ministry, all of us. And these, these leaders that God has given, that Jesus has given to the church, they have a special role in preparing us for this job, in equipping us, in helping us. But the job is something that we all take ownership of. Robert mentioned this last week, and he said that, look, ministry usually is something that is regular, that is intentional, that is significant, and that that is becoming harder in, in our cultural context where, like, I don't want anything that is regular. That's not, like, my decision. I don't want anything that is significant. I, I want, I, I, I don't have enough time. But there is a very real sense in which if we're gonna own who we are as the people of God, that the work of ministry is something that belongs to us so that we might mature and grow. Not grow as a church like the way that a business grows in numbers, that's not what we mean when we're talking about church growth right now. We're talking about growth like this metaphor of a body that is maturing. How do we mature in Christ? It's, it's through each other. We need to be prepared and equipped for ministry by leadership, right? I need to help equip and prepare people for ministry. And then you and I together need to do ministry or service, right? It means we work together to serve each other. 
Who are the people that God has used to shape you and mature you as a Christian? Were they all professionals, people in ministry, pastors, teachers? Or were they parents, friends, volunteers, people who went to church with you? Right? I, I think a lot of the people who have shaped us and encouraged us, who were equipped for ministry and then did ministry, they're, they're, they're ordinary Christians, right? And I think of people who, who have shaped me and encouraged me, especially when I first came to Christ. Some of it was, was like elderly people at church. The church I was a part of, they were, one was a retired or two, actually two were retired teachers. And, um, and they were just like, oh, r- like random, weird, awkward high school student um, who's here all the time. And like, hey, what's your name? And nice to meet you. And let me ask you questions about yourself. And have you read the Bible? And talking to me. Um, that was huge, right? It was, it was strange because there's not... There's not many contexts as a high school student where you go and adults just want to like get to know you and talk to you. Um, but it was people like that. Um, it, uh, it was friends. It was peers. It was friends, some who were like a year, two, three, four years older than me. They weren't that much older than me, but they were following Jesus and, and they could answer my questions. They could help me. Um, that was huge. Um, they were a huge encouragement to me. And it's the same at this church. I mean, that's my experience as well. Um, those of you guys who've been in, in Chet's um, studies, he, he will say, I, I, guys don't talk enough. Guys need to talk. You guys are going to get together and talk. Um, that wasn't a very good Chet impression, but that was the best I have right now. Um, but he, he would say, you two, you two, and you two, you guys are going to meet in the next two weeks. Um, so me and, and Levi Pearson, you guys know Levi? Um, I, I was hoping I'd embarrass you, but I don't see you, Levi. But, um, so we went to coffee. We just go to coffee. And Levi is amazing. He's this really amazing guy. He's this artist um, who loves the Lord and loves his wife. And it's just super encouraging for me to spend time with him, talk to him, pray for each other, and just be the body of Christ. He's equipped for ministry. Levi is ready to sit down and have coffee with somebody and talk to them. And this is what it looks like for the body to grow. This isn't something that is just for people who are professionals. This isn't just something for people who are of a specific age. We all get to serve together. And we want to help you find opportunities to serve. If you feel like that's unattainable, we want to help you with that. But what does it look like for the body to grow, it looks like a group of people who've put their faith in Christ, who've been transformed by the grace of God, who've been raised from the dead, who now gather together and they serve each other. And that's what he says here uh, in chapter four, verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So it's this picture of the body working together, that it functions together and it heals itself and helps itself and helps, helps it grow. That's what it looks like. And it says it builds itself up in love. And that's, that's the second thing I think I, I, wanna, I wanna focus on 
for how, what does it look like for Christians to build each other up? The, the who is, is people who've been transformed by the grace of God, all of us, and then the how, the manner, is in love. So the body builds itself up in love. And when I say love, I feel like I, even, I need to actually define it because outside of these walls, our culture is, is in some sort of weird schizophrenic turmoil about love. Um, and they're like, we, we, yes, we love each other. We, we, we believe in complete acceptance of everybody all the time. We just, we just, love means you just accept whoever, whoever you are. We love you. Unless, right, and then there's like, there are things that if you say this, do this, are this, then we will publicly shame you and eliminate you. But we believe in love, right? So it's like very confusing. And it feels like it's trying to resemble something of biblical truth where like he says here, the body builds itself up by speaking the truth in love. It feels like it's something like that. What type of love do we have that, that, that we're supposed to have for one another that builds up the body, that makes the body mature. It's a love that mirrors the redemptive love that we've experienced in Christ. From chapters one, two, and three of Ephesians, this gospel, this better story. Look at chapter five of Ephesians, verse one, and you'll see that we're supposed to mirror the love of our Father now. Chapter five, verse one, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So be imitators of God as beloved or loved children. God loves us, he's our father, we're his children, and now we love the way he loved us. We love the way Jesus loved us. That's a redemptive love. That's the love of Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. So it's, it's, it's a love that says, well, I, 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 do, I do care what you, what you say and what you do. I don't, I don't offer a wholesale acceptance of everything without any terms. No, I, 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 love, I love you, but stop doing that, right? And it's more like the love of a family. Yes, I love my family no matter what, right? But we, that doesn't mean we were okay with anything that our family would do, um, right? And if you try to think about, like, man, what, what would a, would it really be a loving relationship? Do you want the type of relationship where someone says, whatever you say, whatever you do, whatever you think, whatever you decide, oh, that's okay. That's what it means for me to love you. I don't feel like I'm in any, any danger of that with you, April, of having that type of uh, relationship where you're just gonna say whatever you want, that's fine. Um, and I'm no danger of that, and I'm really thankful for that. Right? I don't actually want that type of marriage. What would, that would put you on the throne, right? And it would be a disaster. But in a good family, people love each other and they also challenge each other, encourage each other, right? You can, you can say to one another, I love you, stop doing that, right? I love you, you should be doing that. I wanna help you, I wanna care for you. I care about your holiness, I care about your maturity. We, we finished Hebrews not too long ago. Hebrews says it this way, and it says, consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So think about how to stir each other up to love and good works. How can you help each other grow? 
Think about that. Now that we're here and we're part of this temple, he's saying in Hebrews, and we're, we're, we're in, how do, we, how do we encourage each other every day? So the question I have then, like, how do we help love each other with a God-like redemptive love to help each other grow in Christ? That's, I think, a central question for us. Well, I want to serve the body, and the way I want to do it is by genuinely pursuing the good and the spiritual maturity of my brother and sister in Christ. We have a family in Christ. We have brothers and sisters. We have kids. We have aunts and uncles, we have grandparents, we have nieces in the family of God. How can we contribute? How can we love? Um, This metaphor of a family, it may be tough for you because you may have had a really messed up family. But the you, you know, even whether you've had a good family or a bad family, you, you know that a, in a bad family, a lot of times the thing that goes, goes wrong is people don't actually desire the good of other people anymore. They become against one another. Husband becomes against wife, wife against husband, parents against kids, kids against siblings. But you know that in a good family, at the very least, in a good family, the people have each other each other's backs, right? They care about each other. They love each other. They desire the good of one another. And that is a key ingredient of a good family. When we say we want to make this better story and this better family known, we're not saying that, hey, at Redemption Hill, we are the perfect family, right? We're not saying that. But we're saying the ideal of the gospel is that he has made us a part of something real. He has transformed us. He has raised us spiritually from the dead. And now we're committed to serving one another. We want to be equipped and prepared to do ministry. And the way that we're gonna do that is by pursuing the good of one another, not against and opposed to one another. We are gonna love each other. So my questions for you are um, asking about these, these three things. Have you been raised from the dead? Can you say, Ephesians 2, that's me. I used to be spiritually dead and now I am alive. I have been created in Christ for good works. Have you put your faith in Jesus? And again, the way that we come to faith in Jesus is we hear the gospel and we respond. So the day is always today to do that. You can talk to not just leaders, but any, anybody in this room Um, who knows Jesus is is prepared to have that conversation with you. If you have been transformed, you've been raised from the dead, you've put your faith in Christ, well now you're created in Christ for good works. So now we have a job to do. And we're gonna do that as a family. So have you been equipped and prepared for the work of ministry? Are you engaged in the work of ministry? What would that look like? And I know, and I, I don't wanna suggest by saying this, We talked about this last week, but I don't want to suggest that, hey, if you're not in a life group and you're not serving in Awana, then you're not a Christian. I'm not not trying to do that. Um, A friend of mine, I remember telling me that he felt, he he, he visited this church and he felt like they were saying there's like Christians here and then there's the Christians who serve. And like, if you don't serve, then you're not like, you're not, you don't know Jesus. And he felt like it was pushing people away from serving. we all know that there's situations of life and distance and health and things that make serving regularly very difficult. But the ordinary thing for us to do is to serve each other 
in regular, significant ways. So what would that look like for you? We want to help you with that. If you need help with that, talk to us. We want to help you. And then just to, to simplify it, hey, the most basic way we can serve each other is we love each other. Not in our culture's way of just blanket acceptance or judgmental hatred, right? But in redemptive, God-like love where we say, I love you and so I want to help you follow Christ. How can I help? How can I pray for you? How, can, how could I disciple you? And my encouragement to you is um, that's something that ordinary Christians do and can do and have done and are doing, and, and, and we should ask God to, to help us to be a part of that. Uh, in a moment, the, the ushers are going to be taking the offering. Let's pray that God would help us and equip us for these things. God, we thank you for the, the, the better story and the better family that you give us in Jesus that from the foundation, before the foundation of the world, that you, you chose to save us. We thank you for raising us from the dead and created us, creating us in Christ for good works that you prepared beforehand. God, we want to serve and we want to love and we need your wisdom, we need your grace, we need your spirit. Would you help us mature in Christ that we would be a group of transformed people who serve and love one another? In Jesus' name, amen.